you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now. So get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. Hello and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 32, Planet of the Daleks Story Review. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. Hola. (laughs) Hey, guys, what's up? I was almost expecting exterminate, but you went with hola. Hey, what can I say? I'm random, man. Well, that works for me. How's it going, Paul? Oh, it's pretty good. Pretty good, actually. Um, I got over my stomach bug that I had earlier. Uh, yeah. last, well, the end of last week. Unfortunately, I gave it to my two-year-old, but he's almost over it now. Oh, that's good. So, yeah. Of course, he kept me up all night last night, screaming with upset stomach. So, you know. Which is uh, which is the reason why we had to wake each other up before we got on. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's the middle of the afternoon here, and we're both like mm, nap time, and then we had to generate some random geeky conversation before we actually started recording, so that we were awake enough to actually make a productive podcast. But before we jump into our our topic, I do just want to let everybody know some exciting stuff for me. Anyways, uh, Phoenix Comic Con is coming up. At the beginning of June, uh, here in the great state of Arizona, the hot state of Arizona, we're hitting record temperatures for February right now, but they have confirmed that both Billy Piper and Alex Kingston will be at Phoenix Comic Con in June, which I'm not certain you would want them to come in the middle of June if you want them to come back, because they will melt, but... uh, (laughs) I am super excited about that. I'm hoping they do some sort of like joint Doctor Who photo op so I can go in costume and get my picture taken with River and Rose. Uh, <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> I'd probably end up going and getting that taken with uh, Kyle and my friend Brandon. Um, the last couple years, I've gone as the fourth Doctor. Kyle's got the 11th Doctor purple costume. and uh, yeah, That's really cool. Brandon's got a a really neat War Doctor costume as well. So the three of us together with Billy and uh, Alex, I think, would be (laughs) an awesome photo op. And, of course, if that does happen, I'll be sure to share it 
here on our Talking Time Lords social media stuff. Because that yeah, would be yeah, you you guys will look like a bunch of dirty old men at a frat party. <laughs> um, With River and Rose draped over your shoulders or whatever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. But, but anyway, yeah, that's exciting news. And hopefully... Um, I'll be able to share some awesome Doctor Who experiences from Phoenix Comic Con this year uh, later on in June. Uh, so I and some Star Wars ones for my other podcast, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Talking about cosplay, I actually uh, found myself the other day uh, looking into um, like priest jackets and stuff, uh, trying to see what I could uh, find to put together a master's costume. Oh, yeah. master. <laughs> well. Because basically the coat that he wears in his original incarnation is just a priest's jacket without the collar. You know? Yes, yes it is. Um, yeah. That is true. Uh, so hey, and you, was, so you're, uh, you're, talking, you're talking Roger Delgado yes. uh, master. Yes. Uh, which, you know, the, the, the overall look still kind of carried over into... Uh, the later incarnation, but um, it, uh, I just thought it, the, the idea of just having that simple streamlined, you know, black on black uh, without all the frilly, you know, decorative collar stuff mm-hmm. was more kind of the right direction to go in that, in that costume. Very nice. That would be cool. <laughs> yeah. So, but, See, and, and then I get to keep my beard. Well, yes. <laughs> yes, you would. You would. As, as opposed to your situation where you have to shave yours all the time. So, Well, <laughs> if I'm really going for it, I will. Other times I don't. Um, but this year, especially if I'm going to get the picture, if there's the opportunity to get a picture taken in costume, <laughs> I'm going to suck it up and shave my beard. Um, as much as it pains me to say that. But <laughs> yeah, it de-ages you like 10 years. It does. <laughs> you look right. like you're 12. Yes. I do. <laughs> um, which is more than 10 years, but we won't get into that. Spoilers. Anyway. <laughs> I think we should uh, jump back on topic here. We are going to be talking about Planet of the Daleks, which is uh, the third Doctor's second run-in with the Daleks in this show. I That was random. Anyways, Planet of the Daleks is a direct sequel to the previous storyline, which is called Frontier in Space. Uh, Frontier in Space is more of a master versus Doctor story. So we're not talking about Frontier in Space right now. We'll we'll swing back around and catch that whenever we do our master story reviews. But we'll give you just a real quick rundown of what you need to know as it pertains to the Daleks, because they do make a, an appearance in the final episode of that yeah, uh, story. If, if they were doing this with the first or second Doctor, uh, it's very possible that they would have taken both of those stories and just combined them together and done like a... Uh, eight or nine parter oh you yeah. know uh 
but uh, I like the fact that they decided to kind of encapsulate the two halves of the story and make them a little bit more uh, segregated, you know. Segmented. Yeah. Yes. Um, but basically, the empires of Earth and Draconia are on the verge of war. And it turns out that the Master on the behest of some, some unknown third party, is trying to instigate that war. And, of course, the Doctor and Joe get caught up in the middle of it. And they spend most of the episode escaping from prison, or most of the story arc ex- escaping from prison, I noticed. Um, there was, you know, about five different prisons that they ended up getting captured and escaping from, <laughs> which is funny, but we'll talk about that when we address Frontier in Space. And it turns out, at the very end, we find out that the Master is working at the behest of the Daleks. And they're the ones that are trying to instigate this war between Earth and Draconia so that they can then sweep in and take over the galaxies without any problem whatsoever. At the end of it all, the Doctor gets hurt in their final escape back into the TARDIS. He manages to send out a message to the Time Lords warning them of the situation. They're able to, to you know uncover the whole issue between Earth and Draconia so that they prevent a war, and the Doctor takes off in the TARDIS and falls unconscious at the very end. Now, see, I like the way that this all plays out because uh, it, it gives you uh, kind of the feeling of universe building because you have this this one story uh, that talks about a war between these two nations and then you have this very next story which is directly tied together which talks about a war between two other nations in a completely different part of the the galaxy and it's all tied together and it all layers over each other very nicely and and just all feels like one big open world story you know mm-hmm. um and so i love it when we get an opportunity to just see everything built up so that it, it feels like this big expansive universe, you know, yes. even if you're telling a very tight knit story about one instance, you still feel like there's this big universe around it, you know? And so planet of the Daleks is a six episode story arc that was started in April of 1973. Uh, and of course stars John Pertwee is the third doctor and Katie Manning as Joe Grant. And, they land on this planet, Spyridon. The Doctor has, of course, fallen unconscious and is in sort of a his healing coma state that we've seen the mm-hmm. Doctor go into on multiple occasions. Uh, Joe is very concerned about him because he's very, very cold. And so she sets out in search of help. Yeah, we, we've even seen him go into this state uh, after a regeneration on a, a few occasions. The problem with Joe going out to try and find help on this planet is that the planet is uh, very alive, mm-hmm. and all the plants are slightly <laughs> carnivorous in some way, shape, or form. They eat people. They, uh, <laughs> the plants are not friendly. <clears throat> we'll just say that way. And so they're, you know, spraying this sap on her and. Uh, trying to you know stop her and that sort of thing which she manages mm-hmm. to keep exploring 
and the TARDIS gets sprayed with, by these plants as well. And the sap then hardens as a shell around the TARDIS and begins to cut off the oxygen supply going into the TARDIS. Do you remember uh, when we talked about the chase? Um, the planet that they were at at the end of that had uh, a somewhat carnivorous type uh, plant life on that planet. Yes. Well, it just felt like a little bit of a callback to me. A little bit. They are different planets, but it, it did feel like a bit of a, of a callback as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the doctor does end up waking up, finds that Joe is gone, and then starts getting the warning alarms that the oxygen supply is running low. He acts, activates the emergency oxygen supply, finds out that's, not, that's also low, and begins to start running out of air and can't get out. Thankfully, however... The TARDIS gets broken into by a pair of Thals. Yeah, because are, that's the race you'd expect to run into on this planet, right? On Spider-On, yeah. <laughs> and for those of you who are keeping track, the Thals are the other race uh, that lived on Scarrow. Uh, not the not the Khaleds who turned into the Daleks. They are the, the peace-loving race. Uh, turns out that this is a sort of a commando mission group of Thals, and they manage to peel back the, the hardening layer of, of sap that's on the TARDIS and break into it and open it up and rescue the Doctor so he before he dies, which is great. Joe has found their spaceship and has been warned to stay in the spaceship while they go rescue the Doctor uh, and stay hidden because the yeah. Spiridons are invisible and they are on the move. And this is sort of another, uh, you know, yeah. first Doctor callback. Yeah. Uh, with the Do- uh, Dalek story, because in uh, and you reminded me about this last time, mm-hmm. is that in Dalek's master plan, and I forget the planet that they were on. It was Mara. Mara. Mm-hmm. The inhabitants were also invisible. Yeah. So. And that 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 was something that I thought was uh, almost like a wasted opportunity for me. Because I felt like that all they had to do was simply just say, okay, they're, he's back on Mara. And, you know, the reason I felt like that, that it would all fit together was because the planet of Mara was very close to uh, the planet that the Daleks had taken over in the Daleks' master plan in the first place. So the Daleks uh, could very believably still have some kind of an occupation there on that other planet, which would explain why they were now on Mara, you know? So I just, I thought it would be a, a really nice uh, little, you know, I don't want to call it an Easter egg, but just a really nice little tie in they could have put in there if they'd wanted to. And all they had to done was just change the name of the planet. Yeah. You know, uh, now here's the thing though. The one, uh, Spiridon? No. Uh, the uh, the one uh, Thal that is deceased that was in charge. Mm. His name is Morrow. It is. So you know that almost seems like that they said, yeah, we're we're gonna make this kind of a um, how do you how would you say it kind of a homage to mm. that, but we're not going to say that it's the same thing. Gotcha. You know. Huh. 
Then again, we could be reading into things, but that's what we do. We're we're <laughs> geeks, and we read we read into things and make connections that aren't there. Well, that's kind deliberate. of one of the reasons why we do this, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Meanwhile, Joe has been left on the Thal's starship, and has locked herself in basically a storage cabinet. And it's a good thing too, because a Spiridon comes on the ship, and he starts sort of exploring. You know, looking at things and picking up things. And it was sort of a a slightly humorous scene to just see things be picked up and start floating and turning like he was looking at it and putting it down. Random crap just starts moving around all by itself. Yeah. (laughs) And you can hear the Spiridon breathing and it's like very (sighs) 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 heavy breathing. It's really kind of. Yeah, like creepy phone call breathing yeah (laughs) not necessarily fun (laughs) needless and he tries to get into the cabinet but of course joe's locked herself in from the inside and he can't after the spiritan leaves joe peeks out of her cabinet and then notices something on her arm and hand she's starting to grow some sort of fungus and it's not healthy at all Turns out that the the plants that are spraying the sap everywhere are at fault. Uh, the doctor himself gets sprayed, and thankfully uh, the Thal leader, Terran, uh, sprays this disinfectant on him that basically counteracts the effects of this sap. And he says it would the fungus would have engulfed and killed you, doctor, if we hadn't done that. Of course, the doctor has revealed himself to be the legendary doctor from the Thal's uh, you know, history, uh, and they're skeptical about that. What was that he said to the doctor? He said, uh, he said, would you believe you if you showed up uh, claiming to be someone impossible or something? You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> would you believe you? <laughs> no, I suppose not. <laughs> but they start heading back to the ship to meet back up with Joe and they run across something. Well, they hear something breaking down. Yeah. And they only see, like, this roundish, like, depression in the dirt. And the doctor's like, well, what's going on? Well, this is what we're here to stop. Yeah. And they give the doctor basically a, a spray paint can and say, go ahead. <laughs> and he sprays whatever this thing is down and dun 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 end of the episode it's a dalek yeah you see like bits and pieces of it just appear out of nowhere Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, of course so basically the daleks are here on spiridon learning how to utilize the spiridon's you know natural invisibility and turn themselves invisible so that's why they're here. Because they're not messed up enough as it is. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. That there's nothing that I can think of at this point that would be creepier than an invisible Dalek, except for maybe an invisible Cyberman. Mm. <laughs> or the invisible master. That too. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the Dalek has basically died from being what's the word i'm looking for running out of power because this ability to reflect light 
that they are studying to become invisible takes up a tremendous amount of power and can't be sustained very long, which is what the Daleks are trying to improve on. And this one uh, apparently did not uh, turn it off in time, and he basically killed himself. Lost his life support and everything. Yeah. Yeah, so it's dead. And they had they continue on back towards the spaceship. Unfortunately, they run across a Spyridon patrol. And of course, we can see Spyridons because they're wearing these giant fuzzy purple furs. Yeah. Which is kind of funny, actually. They look like faceless Muppets. <laughs> giant faceless Muppets. <laughs> because it's shiny purple. Yeah. I was, I was going to say it, it almost feels like something out of Sesame Street. Uh, yeah. You know, um, because it's the same type of fur that you'd see on Cookie Monster or something, you know. Yeah, except very purple. Yeah. It was like very purple. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's just a little weird. Um, well, it, not that I mind the purple. It's just, well, I guess you would say it's, it's very of the times because of the color choice. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily have a problem with a creature having purple fur no. necessarily, but the the shade of purple is <laughs> yes. very seventies. Well, I was going to say it's very unorganic looking. You know, yes. The the actually the one that we see later, uh, the one that has like the different shades of gray and everything. Uh, mingled in with it looks more natural than the others do. Yeah, but we'll get to that shortly. Yeah. But the Spyridans have basically been enslaved by the Daleks, and so are therefore working for the Daleks. And they capture one of the Thal. There are three of them, and the, the basically the the medical scientist guy is the one that's captured and led away back to the city that the Daleks have taken over, uh, while the doctor. Uh, Taron, the leader, and the other guy, Faber. I can't I believe. I can't remember. Faber. There we are. I found it. Faber. <laughs> you know um, I'm not good with some of these names. <laughs> I know. I know. But Taron, Faber, and uh, Kodal is the the scientist guy. They're they they're kind of important, ish. Um, I will say this: I really like the attention to detail that they've put into this because it even though the clothing is different because it's a different time period and things like that, it's very obvious that they paid a lot of close attention to trying to make the Thals look like the Thals that we saw before. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. they, they, they put a lot of attention into making them very recognizable as a race and everything. Um, yeah. The, the, the same thing with the Daleks too, you know? Um, yeah. Did the, not the design very much. Yeah, the design of the clothes is a of their of these spacesuits basically that the, the mm. Thals are wearing are similar to the to the designs of the clothes that they wore back with the first Doctor. And so and the even the color of the clothing and everything, even though the original was in black and white, because of the coloring of the clothing that you see with this, you almost feel like that at least in your mind that these clothes are sort of even the same shades of colors and things that you were seeing before. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the doctor and the other two Thals managed to get back to the ship, but are only arrived back just in time to see a Dalek patrol blasted to pieces. 
and they assume Joe Grant is still inside. Doctor gets pretty upset, too. The doctor gets pretty upset, and the Daleks shoot him with a stun ray and capture him. Mm-hmm. And take him back to the city and put him in the same cell with Kodal. Uh, Which, now you we... know, there's a reason for this. Yes. In the storytelling, there's a reason for this. We'll get to that yes. in a minute. Yes. <laughs> now, in reality, Joe is not in the ship anymore. Yeah. She had fallen unconscious in the middle of the floor, and a Spyridon came back for her and rescued her. This Spyridon's name is Wester. And he's part of the small resistance force, right? Correct. He's he's one of the few Spyridons who uh, refuse to work for the Daleks. And it's not like a resistance force in the traditional sense that they're massing and trying to combat the Daleks. This is more of a a resistance by non-conformity. Non, non, uh, non, non-conformity. Yeah. I, yeah. Anyway, I tried that about five different times and I didn't really <laughs> get it. Well, so. it, and, and also because of the fact that they're invisible and things like that, uh, it's kind of easy for them to just kind of fade away and blend in and not yeah. be noticed, you know. And essentially, so. Wester isn't wearing his fur yeah. at the moment, um, which is what enables uh, him to go around unseen. And it's funny, when Joe wakes up, he's preparing some sort of potion to put on the fungus on her arm that will, you know, kill the fungus and mm-hmm. make her well. And he's, you know, doing it with these bowls, and all we see are the bowls moving. Yeah, I like that. I thought it was nice. Uh, yeah. A nice little uh, trick of the uh, uh, the use of those, those special effects, you know. Because mm-hmm. especially for the time, that was pretty good, you know. Yes. Yeah. I mean, obviously, for us who are very well accustomed to special effects in movies and TV shows, it's easy to pick out that, oh, they're they're moving some bowls around on a blue screen and just sort of slapped it in there or something, you know. But for the time, uh, especially for the money that Doctor Who had to work with, uh, it was groundbreaking. Here's something else that I noticed, too. Um, And this sort of, to a certain extent, felt like a a slight callback to me uh, to the classic... um, Invisible Man. In certain scenes, you couldn't see him, but you could see his shadow, and you know, like it would cast his shadow on the wall or whatever behind him, but you couldn't see him, but you could see, like, the the loose shape, the loose form of his shadow, you know, on the wall or whatever. Um, huh. Yeah, and I thought that was kind of uh, interesting uh, because that was one of the things. Um, like in at least one or two of the Invisible Man, you know, Man movies that I've seen in the past, where you couldn't see him, but you, you know, in in the right kind of sunlight or something, you could see a shadow on the ground or something of that nature, you know. Cool. Uh, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. And so now we're we've got three different parties uh, split up at this point. We've got the Doctor and Kodal trying to escape their cell in the Dalek-controlled city. We've got Joe and Wester, who Wester has told Joe of the Doctor's predicament. Uh, and Joe, of course, decides that they have to rescue the Doctor. Well, of course. Because that's what Joe does. Uh, <laughs> and Weber and Taryn uh, are debating 
on what to do next. Taryn is the senior officer, the senior ranking Thal, but he is very cautious. Vapor wants to just attack the Daleks now. He's a bit more gung-ho about their mission and wants to take the fight to the Daleks. And this becomes an issue later on. Yeah. But he accuses Taryn of being overcautious and cowardly and gets to the point where he's about ready to force Terran to attack the Daleks at gunpoint when another Thal ship comes crashing out of the sky nearby. And, and you see immediately that they did not expect to see this other ship. <laughs> no. And, of course, you know, in traditional Doctor Who fashion, the ship crashes off screen and the three survivors... Well, they don't have a big enough budget to show it crash on screen. <laughs> no. Uh, but the three survivors uh, run into frame and meet up with... Taryn and Weber, uh, two men, and Rebek, who's a woman, who looks like they are, you know, she and Taryn are uh, lovers yeah. in a relationship, and he's not happy to see her here. No. I, I, I almost wonder if they're actually married, uh, but, mm. you know, they didn't specify yeah, their their interaction on screen uh, comes off uh, like 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 a married couple, you know. Um, mm -hmm. There's a very very uh, strong sense of familiarity there. Yeah, yeah, and of course, Taryn is you know not happy because now he won't take the risks he needs to take. Not that he was taking them before, uh, because he'll be too concerned about Rebek. But she says, "Well, we had to come." Because we've just uh, intercepted a message to the Dalek Supreme Command saying that the Dalek army on Spyridon is now complete. And it's not just a dozen or so, you know, working on this experiment of invisibility. No, there are 10,000 Daleks somewhere on Spyridon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. And that's, that's one of those scenes uh, where as soon as that comes out of her mouth, you automatically expect to hear the... As it cuts to the credits. <laughs> it's not a dozen. Somewhere on Spider-Man there are 10,000 Daleks. Yeah. <laughs> that, that one <laughs> statement. <laughs> you expect yep. to hear that music kick in, you know. <laughs> <laughs> because that is exactly what happened. It's one of those oh crap moments, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. One of those little slight cliffhangers that make you go, oh, no, and have to come back next week. Um, oh. <laughs> how are they going to get out of this one? Yeah, I love it. I love the serial aspect of this. Oh, it's, this, is, this is when Doctor Who really started hitting its stride with the, the serial aspect of, of the show. Um, it's a little cheesy. It's a little corny, but it's great all the same. Um, <laughs> it must be doing something right if Star Wars copied it. Well, <laughs> I'm not sure that's exactly true, but just saying. <laughs> so, Joe and Wester have uh, discovered the the Spyridans, uh taking these crates of vegetation from the the 
swampy forest wood thingies um, into the city uh, because the Daleks are also, in addition to experimenting with invisibility, are also experimenting with a plant-destroying bacterium, and they need, obviously, plants to test it on. And so Joe convinces Wester to help her hide in one of these crates so that she can sneak into the Dalek-controlled city, which she does. Meanwhile, the Doctor and Kodal... Is it Kodal? Yes, it is Kodal. Are trying to figure out how to escape from their cell. And this is where we get one of the the great Third Doctor lines ever um, about courage. This was the whole point of having the Doctor get locked up with this guy. Because you you get one of those... Peter Capaldi-esque speeches uh, from mm-hmm. John Pertwee at this point. It, you know, I love it when they have the opportunity to have the Doctor wax eloquent. Uh, yes. And and give one of those uh, memorable uh, speeches that that just is it. It's, it, on multiple levels, it's just inspiring to hear, yes. you know. Yes. And Kodal is talking about how he's not very brave and how, you know, what he's done is just, you know, not not a brave thing. And he doesn't have very much courage, unlike Weber and Terran. And the doctor says, well, courage isn't not being afraid. It's being afraid and doing what you have to anyway, mm-hmm. which is one of... The third Doctor's most memorable lines ever, right after you know, reverse the polarity of the neutron flow, um, <laughs> which he does again. He's going to reverse the polarity of this little tape deck yeah. in order to create some sort of jamming device uh, to try and jam the Daleks' uh, signals so that they can escape. And of course, they do this. They're able to attack the Dalek that comes in to interrogate them. Stick the little jamming device on the Dalek. And while it works and, you know, jams the Dalek up and the Dalek can't do anything, their little device also breaks. Yeah. And so they are now running through the corridors <laughs> of the Dalek-controlled city, trying to escape and getting forced farther and farther down uh, into the ground, away from the exit. Yeah, this is a Christopher Eccleston moment. Run for your life! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Run for your life! Uh-oh. Oh, man. <laughs> So, the, so many sweet callbacks. <laughs> oh, I know. That are from this episode. This is oh. this is this is a good third doctor episode, folks. If you're if you guys are trying to find some good third doctor stories to watch, highly recommend Planet of the Daleks, but we'll get to our ratings later. Um <laughs> The rest of the Thals, meanwhile, are trying to infiltrate the base by using uh, a series of cooling uh, cooling vents and ducts uh, that the Daleks have set up. And they're sneaking through these and unfortunately the whole core of this planet is molten ice. Which is a really unique idea and I like that idea. (laughs) Because you don't see it but it's gross. This molten ice is disgusting. It's it's basically like this clear slime that they use. It's kind of gross. But my son was watching this with me, uh, and he looks at me and he goes, "Dad," I said, "Yeah." He goes, 
isn't that basically just water? (laughs) (laughs) I said, uh, just go with it, son. (laughs) This molten ice is, you know, sub-zero temperature, but it still remains in this semi-liquid form. It's not fully frozen. It's sort of this viscous grossness. like white snot. Uh, Yes. Um, (laughs) Which is what I was referring to last episode when I said we would visit the stuff that came out of my throat. (laughs) Gross. I did not need that mental picture. Hey, Uh, it it was gross to see on screen, so, you know. (laughs) That is true. That is very true. Of course, there is some sort of underground eruption burst of this molten ice while the Thals are making their way through the tunnels and it starts flooding the, the tunnels and the Daleks are trying to, you know, shut down all their vents to prevent the, the molten ice from spilling into the base. Uh, of course, as is wont to happen in these sort of shows, the Thals that are crawling away from this molten ice that is starting to flood the vents, find a vent in the hallway that the doctor and Kodal are running through at the exact same time that they pass it. I mean, you can't have it any other way, can you? Uh, <laughs> and they managed to get the, the grate off and managed to get the three thals out of the vent in time before the molten ice catches up to them. And as the molten ice spills out of the open vent into the hallway, the Daleks pass just behind it and it creates a nice little diversion and breathing room for an escape. Yeah. Because otherwise you wouldn't have a story. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of the Thals who gets barely anything, you know, one of the Thals that, that came from the crashed uh, spaceship, Marat, does barely anything except, you know, he gets weakened by the cold because he ended up, you know, partly covered in this molten ice, escaping from the vent. Uh, ends up sacrificing himself to cover the retreat of the rest of the group while they you know, lock themselves in this control room for this giant refrigeration unit the, doc- uh, the Daleks have built. Unfortunately, uh, he also has a map that marks where they've hidden their explosives on him, and the Daleks find that. Oops. So the rest of the group, the Doctor and the rest of the Thals, have trapped themselves into this room, this control room for the giant refrigeration unit and are trying to find a way to escape. Meanwhile, the Daleks are cutting through the door to get in there, which we've seen this scenario before. Daleks cutting through a door. That's very uh, uh, very much of a callback to the original Dalek storyline for the yes season one. Yes. And... In this room is a giant heat vent that goes all the way up to the surface. It's it's this giant round vent that pumps out the heat that this cooler, the refrigeration unit, gives off. And it goes straight out to the open air. And so the doctor rigs up sort of a makeshift hot air balloon with a plastic tarp and the rope that each of the, the Thals have. And they you know, are able to ride this plastic tarp by being, you know, the the ends on the four corners holding the rest of it down 
and the hot air propels them up this shaft. Yeah. When, when he first started putting this together, my first thought was, I don't know that that's going to hold everybody. Because <laughs> it didn't look that sturdy. <laughs> no. He even asks if what, what he, you know, well, do you think the tensile strength of this will hold everyone? <laughs> um, well, the Daleks managed to get in, see where they have gone. Thankfully, they're out of range of the Daleks by the time the Daleks start firing up the shaft. And then a Dalek uh, get, brings in an anti-gravity disc, a gravitational disc, uh, that gets placed right under the vent, and they start pursuing the Doctor and the Thals up the vent. Too bad they didn't uh, go ahead and give the Daleks the ability to levitate and everything back in these episodes because, you know, that would have been uh, uh, really interesting to see them suddenly take flight, you know. Yes. Well, this is still early in the Daleks' development. They hadn't gotten that far yet. I don't even Um, know that they had even considered that being a, a concept for them to be able to do that at that point. No, no. And we will see the episode where that first happens yeah. uh, later, and it is sort of a big cliffhanger moment. Yeah, it, but yeah, it was it was one of those, you know. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> there is no escape. What just um, happened? You know. Right. <laughs> but we'll, we'll get to that eventually. Yeah. This turns into a problem. Because while the the Doctor estimates that they'll reach the surface before the Dalek catches up to them, the plastic is starting to tear. Yeah. Particularly in the corner where the Doctor is. Um, <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> they manage to get almost to the top before it gives way. The Thals are able to cr- scramble out while the Doctor manages to cling to a section uh, of the shaft you know, just with out of reach of the edge. And while the Thals are, you know, rigging up some rope to get him up, the Dalek is coming steadily closer, steadily closer. Of course, they manage to get the Doctor up out in, up in time, and then they drop some rocks on the Dalek, uh, which apparently breaks the gravitational disk and sends the Dalek plummeting back down to the bottom of the pit. Uh, of course, this this would only happen um, for uh, you know Star Wars fan. Uh, when I when all this was going on and the doctors hanging from this thing, I got this mental image of Lando Calrissian at the Sarlacc pit, uh, <laughs> and and Han you know, has the the staff reaching down trying to catch him, you know. <laughs> Grab hold of it. I'm trying. <laughs> higher. Just 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 a little higher, you know. Right. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was the same vibe uh in the scene that, that that they had in that because instead of the the tentacles coming up to grab him, it was the Dalek coming up, you know, underneath and uh yes. You, you had the same you had a similar scenario, the same type of feeling to the scene and so that was the mental image i got i thought mm-hmm. it was kind of uh almost humorous that i just happened to get that image in my mind at that point in the story <laughs> it is a bit humorous <laughs> joe meanwhile has left the city because she's overheard the daleks uh 
getting ready to destroy the bombs that the Thals had. She goes and tries to get some of these bombs that the Daleks have already set the timers for to blow them up so that the Thals can't use them. She manages to, to turn off the timing mechanism on two of them before, you know, some rocks fall from the cliff uh, and knock her out. She wakes up just in time to grab those two bomb and bombs and run away before the third one explodes. Which was kind of neat because I almost expected someone to come in and rescue her at the last moment, but that didn't yeah. happen. Um, they made a point of that. She manages to hide away the other two bombs and then runs into the doctor and the rest of his little merry band just around the corner. And this is a great little reunion because the doctor and Joe both thought the other were dead. Uh, And this is, (laughs) and we saw this particularly in Frontier in Space, but I was reminded of it in this scene here. One of Katie Manning's great abilities as a companion is to just spout off at the mouth. Yeah. For for like ad-libbing, to like uh, go on and on and on and on and on. And she does it very well. Oh, you, you uh, should hear her in interview. <laughs> oh, I, oh, I can't wait. But it's like one of these things where they had her start ad-libbing to just give the doctor something to go, whoa, 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 Joe, 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 stop, stop, stop. Yeah. You know. Um, <laughs> but she went on for like minutes back in Frontier of Space, in yeah. space, uh, which, and we'll get to that, you know, eventually. But yeah, just... that's one of her talents as... <laughs> as Talking about randomness, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's great. Um, but the, the doctor takes Joe away to go, you know, catch back up. And we get a little uh, scene with the Thals before the scene fully ends. But as the, doc- the doctor is taking her away and she's describing her adventure so far about how she escaped the ship. And she's like, well, you see, I was getting, you know, I was unconscious because of the, the, vi- the, the fungus. And then I was rescued by this bowl. and that was the last thing that we heard from her before the doctor took her off screen and i thought it was the funniest thing and the way she said it she's so genuine and we we sort of mentioned this before she's such an innocent uh slightly naive character that everything she says is just completely genuine there's no pretense with her whatsoever sometimes like and I was rescued by this bowl. Yeah. Sometimes I don't think that people realize just how good of an acting job uh, she was doing with this character because uh, every single thing that she did to play Joe was 100% intentional. Yes. You know, it's nothing like she is in real life. You know, she even changed her voice and everything to play this character. Yeah. She became basically a completely different person. And it's something that, I'll be perfectly honest, until we went back and started reviewing these two story arcs, mm-hmm. I just sort of like, oh, and then there's Joe, you know, in my, in my head as far as companions go. Because obviously Sarah Jane is my favorite, and she's the companion right before Sarah Jane. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's in my mind, it, we have to get through Joe in order to get to Sarah Jane. <laughs> and then rewatching these two storylines, I'm like, wow. I really sort of didn't give Joe the credit she was due. Well, I, I, I listened to her uh, give an interview uh, last week, I think, is when I listened to it. And um, she was talking about how this was actually her first acting job. Wow. Yeah. And 
she this was her first well her first real acting job you know and that uh, she just kind of invented the character on the fly more or less you know um they wanted somebody who came off as a much younger type of person and everything and so she intentionally lifted the tone of her voice uh to make herself sound younger and and everything and um uh, that's also one of the things that um added to the uh the feeling of uh naivete that the character mm-hmm. has um yeah. is you know the tone in her voice and everything uh of course the 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 subtleties of it, it you know when you when you hear her in in real life you know talking on the interviews and things like that you can tell immediately that she is acting her butt off as this character you know and uh-huh. it gave me a completely different appreciation for the character at that point because i realized just how well she was pulling the character off so that's not her in real life at all. No. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, it is beginning to get night on Spyridon, and the temperature drops dramatically, and so uh, the Doctor, Joe, and the Thals have to go to uh, the Plain of Stones because the stones absorb heat from the sun during the day and then sort of just discharge it by night, and that's the only place that they'll be able to survive uh, without finding some sort of shelter through the long Spyridon night. And the Daleks also retreat back into the their city at night as well. And the Doctor notices that they're moving a little bit slower and de- deduces that the extreme cold has some sort of effect, detrimental effect, on the Daleks. Of course, Taran and Weber get into a big argument again about what they should do concerning the Daleks. And Weber wants to go blow up the refrigeration unit because that is the way to go against the Daleks. He's he's Mr. One Note. He is. <laughs> he he, and he won't let it go. He will no, not he let won't. it go. Unfortunately, uh, during the night, Weber steals the two bombs away and sneaks off to go implement his plan. Yeah. Uh, Terran and Kodal decide when they discover Weber is gone. Terran and Kodal dis- decide to go after him, try and stop him because the Doctor discovered that the refrigeration unit is keeping an entire army of Daleks in suspended animation until the time is right. And blowing up the refrigeration unit yeah. is the last thing that we need to happen. Because that will start the awakening process right. of the ten thousand Daleks. <laughs> okay, I have to ask you now. Yes. What did you think about the effects that they used for these Daleks? Did you like it? They're using the models from the Second Doctor episodes. Mm-hmm. They are using the same models. I noticed that. Um, but they still work. I mean, they still work. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're. There, it's obviously not going to be, you know, the same quality um, that we get now, but they still work. And I, I I think they sort of kept the cave that we keep mm-hmm. seeing them in dimly lit so that it's almost black and white. Yeah. Um, which I think helps. 
and it also sort of gives this sort of slight nod back to the previous story arcs. Mm-hmm. Um, but it worked for me, particularly because they didn't move very much. But even when they did, it was believable, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it, it, it didn't feel like it took you out of the story, you know. Right. Especially under the circumstances uh, that they were using it. But no, I, I, I had a positive reaction to the, the, the effects on that. Uh, especially mm-hmm. the fact that they were able to show that high of a quantity in one place. Yes. I thought that was really nice. Yeah, they, they showed a whole bunch. <laughs> it almost felt like the um, the scene at the beginning of um, uh, Asylum of the Daleks. Asylum of the Daleks. Oh, the Eleventh Doctor. Yeah, yeah, with the the Dalek Parliament and all that fun yeah. stuff. Yeah, it, it almost yeah. it you know because you had that whole room that was full of Daleks and right. it, it almost had that same feel to it because of the way that they were just all stacked in there like that. Yeah, a bit. Um, of course, Weber, in his brashness, you know, is walking you know the quickest path through the jungle to get to. The city and gets captured by some of the slave spiridons, uh, and is being hauled off to the Daleks. Terran and Kodal try to disguise themselves with some of the spiridon furs in order to uh, infiltrate the group and rescue both Weber and the bombs. Unfortunately, when the Spiridons get Weber to the Daleks. Weber attempts one last act of defiance and gets exterminated for it. Did we really lose anything? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that may be harsh, but no. Um, Terran and Kodal use the, discrap- the, the distraction to grab the two bombs and disappear into the forest. People are going to think we don't have an appreciation for Thal life. <laughs> well, just not that Thal. <laughs> he, he did get a little annoying. <laughs> he did. He, you, you said it correctly. He's Mr. One Note. Um, now, this is where we start getting into the the plot of the Daleks to basically destroy Spiridon behind them uh, with this bacteria bomb that they're going to unleash. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've, they're perfecting the immunization process against the bacteria, uh, and they are on the verge of having this already. They're trying to set it up so that it won't affect... The Daleks. Well, I was going to say uh, biological organisms, you know, other than plant life. No, I, I think they're... The the bacteria is going to wipe out the entire planet behind them. Animals, plants, people. Uh, they're just trying to figure out a way to make themselves immune to it. Make only the Daleks immune to it. Yeah. Well, exactly. It, well, that, it makes sense. The, the vibe that I got was that they were trying to make it where it wouldn't kill, you know, things that walked around, but it would kill you know, all the vines and, and everything else. But I, I guess it does make more sense that it would only not kill the Daleks. Yeah. Um, Joe is able to inform the doctor 
of this plan because while she was in the, the Dalek base, she had overheard some of the discussion about this bacteria bomb. Now, the Doctor, and the Thals, and Joe managed to capture, you know, destroy a couple of Daleks that are on their way to the Plain of Stones by shoving them into the molten ice pools that are near the Plain of Stones. And, of course, that kills the Dalek inside the, the armor. Uh, did you notice what I noticed? What did you notice? The Thals uh, actually got down into the pools with the Daleks and were like up to their waist in this molten ice and did not seem to be very affected by it. Well, if you listen carefully, um, uh, the Terran tells the other Thal, um, who's taken a shine to Joe, mm-hmm. uh, to turn on his the, the thermal setting of his suit. And so the suit is, you know, heating them up while they walk into this molten ice okay. to uh, empty out the Dalek armor and pull one of the the Dalek armor suits back up onto the bank. See, I didn't catch that. It was really quick. And I was wondering about that myself <laughs> watching it. And then I was I, I was looking for that and I, I heard him say it. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, oh, okay. because I was looking at that and I was going, OK, wait, wait, was that a plot hole or, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they 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 did make an allowance for it, but it was really quick. The doctor decides to use the sudden drop in temperature against the Daleks. And that's how they're going to attack and, and destroy the Daleks here on Spyridon. They're going to do a two pronged attack with uh, Rebek inside the empty Dalek case. Uh, with the Doctor, Terran, and Kodal disguised as Spyridans. And they're going to go in the front door with one of the bombs. And Joe and uh, Latep, who's the, the Thal that's you know taken a shine to Joe, are going to enter the city via the giant ventilation shaft, and they're going to you know go all the way down that shaft with the other bomb. When the Doctor and his group get into the main control area, they see Wester inside the lab with two Daleks and the bacteria bomb Yeah. preparation. And with the Daleks on the verge of having this perfected, Wester bursts in front of the Daleks, grabs the, the bacteria case, and opens it, releasing the bacteria into the room... And the Daleks, the, o- the only Daleks that are immunized to this bacteria are the two that are in the lab. Yeah. And so they cannot open the door. They can't leave and nobody else can come in. They're trapped and one of, in there forever. One of the Daleks just basically freaked out. <laughs> it's like, we cannot get out. They cannot get in. We shall be trapped here forever. Yeah. It was almost like he was like <laughs> panicking. Yeah. <laughs> I almost expected the two of them to just commit suicide. In they there, were stuck they... in there for eternity. Yeah. Oh, dude. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Because they, they, they literally had one of the Daleks panicking over the whole yeah. situation. And I was like, okay. Interesting. It, the doctor Imagine his... if it was two guys in there that couldn't stand one another. And they were oh, trapped in there for the rest of eternity together. <laughs> Someone would be dead. 
Oh, man. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> the Doctor and his group try and move deeper into the base. However, uh, somebody's boots are seen from under the Spyridon fur that they have taken, and the alarm is raised. And, of course, now uh. there's the big chase through the corridors <laughs> yet again. The Doctor and his group abandon the furs and the Dalek uh, armor just in time because then the Daleks blow up the rest of the armor and they make their way back into the control room for the refrigeration unit and barricade themselves inside. <laughs> um, the Doctor and... Uh, well, Revik and Terran are the ones barricading and trying to delay the Daleks. The Doctor and... Kodal go into the cave where the Daleks are being woken up. There is a Dalek that has arrived from the Dalek Supreme Command who is getting ready to take the army off Spyridon and start the war. They're going to continue go on with war anyways even though they haven't uh, set the humans and draconians on each other. Uh, and so the refrigeration unit has been turned off. And the Doctor and Kodal are in this cave, and they're trying to find the perfect spot to set their bomb mm -hmm. so that they can flood the cave with the molten ice. It's not Volcano. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Every time I saw it, that's what I thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> the interesting thing is that there is a the Dalek section leader has failed so many times in trying to capture and or kill the Doctor and his group that the Supreme Dalek from the Dalek High Council exterminates him on the spot. This was an interesting thing. I don't think we've seen this very often with Daleks up to this point. And it was interesting to see the Daleks going to this sort of level. It was a Darth Vader it, moment. It was. <laughs> It was. <laughs> you have failed me for the last time, Admiral. Exactly. <laughs> I almost couldn't take the, the Dalek Supreme seriously because of the flashlight instead of his regular eye. <laughs> um, it was literally like this red and white flashlight that was barely disguised well, it, uh, um, at the end of his eye stalk. This sort of felt like the very first time that you get to see a deviation on the way the Daleks looked because this is the first time in classic who that I know of that you saw the uh, the more can type lights on the sides of the dome mm -hmm. um, and the the eye stalk being shaped a bit more like it is in the new who series um, mm -hmm. you know uh, so this almost felt like visually almost felt like a bridge somewhat to new who, um, uh, you know, at least to me it did. And, uh, of course this is the first time that you see one that's colored this way as well. It's, it's got like the gold and black, uh, yeah, gold and black with like the purple, uh, lighting on it, mm. you know? Yeah. It is definitely set apart. Mm hmm. Of course, now this, uh, Joe this is and... not the Emperor, oh, though. Sorry. No, no, no. This is not the Dalek Emperor that we saw in Evil of the uh, Daleks. This would be sort of, uh, I guess, like the second in command or something, maybe? Yeah, he's part of the Dalek High Council. Yeah. 
and as the Dalek Supreme of this mission. Um, it, it's sort of like what we get with the the Dalek Supreme, the big red Dalek yeah. uh, in the modern series. Yeah, it's not the huge Emperor Dalek, but it's just below that. Joe and Latep finally make it all the way down the shaft, just as the Daleks are, of course, getting ready to break through into the refrigeration control area. And everybody meets up in the cave um, as the Doctor and Kodal are setting their bomb. They escape over a ramp that leads to the surface that was, you know, conveniently there in the cave for them. (laughs) And while the, the Daleks burst through and start making their way into the caves after the Doctor and his group, the bomb goes off, destroying the Daleks and flooding the cave system with molten ice. Of course, it takes a minute. It, you know, there's this big explosion and nothing happens. And the Doctor's like, oh, it failed. <laughs> and they start to turn to walk away dejectedly and all of a sudden they hear yeah. this rumble and then all of a sudden... <laughs> It felt like the scene in the dark night where the Joker goes to blow up the hospital and and he (laughs) hits the trigger and nothing happens. And he's sitting there looking at it like, okay, I guess it was a dud. And then all of a sudden it explodes (laughs) and he's not expecting it. (laughs) Yes. The, The remaining Daleks are forced to flee the base because now the entire base is being filled with the molten ice. Uh, and the Dalek army that is in the cave systems will be free, will be frozen now for at least centuries to come. And of course that means we win. Uh, (laughs) the rest, the Thals make it to the, the Dalek Supreme's spacecraft and are able to escape Spyridon. Um, but not before the third doctor gives another great little speech at the end here, telling Terran, don't glorify what has happened. Don't make war sound like an adventure and that sort of thing. And he, he says, you know, make sure to, to remember those who aren't coming back and make sure that everyone knows about them uh, because he wants the Thals to remain peaceful people. Now, this was written by Terry Nation again, right? Ah, that is a good question. Let me let me look th- at this. I don't know. Because it felt like it was. Um, yes. Yes, it yeah, was. It, it felt like something that he would write. It felt very much the same in tone and, and, and everything as the other Dalek stories that he had written for the first and second Doctor. Yeah, it, it definitely... It definitely felt more like a Dalek story than Day of the Daleks did. Yeah, and, and that was... I don't think that was necessarily because of visuals as much as it was just tone you know yeah the the tone of it definitely uh is what set this apart as a as a dalek story arc and i'll get to that in a minute but i just want to wrap this up uh joe is invited by latap to come back with him to scarrow uh she doesn't obviously she wants to go home to earth uh and that's how the episode ends yeah Um, then that that kind of felt like a little bit of an homage also to the original Dalek storyline as well uh, for the first doctor um, because you had a, uh, a almost identical scenario uh, happen at the end of that with Barbara with Barbara. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was definitely a lot of, of callbacks going on with, with this story arc. 
And one of the things that sort of, to me, makes the Daleks, an, a Dalek episode important, is the Daleks are never just, you know, another villain. They're never just, you know, oh, we're running across the Daleks again. Yeah. It's, the Daleks always have some sort of big plan that they're either preparing for or trying to implement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was something that was back with Planet of the Daleks. Not that they hadn't, you know, done something like that with Day of the Daleks. It just wasn't quite as pronounced. Um, and with this, you know, they are on the verge of starting war. And they are massing for war. And that was, was all what, what, what all this was about. Excuse me, about. And it's also kind of the one reason, why, and we'll get to this at the end of our Dalek episodes, but it's sort of why uh, Into the Dalek with uh, Peter Capaldi is not one of my favorite Dalek story episodes because it's just sort of like, oh, we ran across some Daleks during the Time War and we had this one little thing happen. Yeah. At, which, what? it's not a bad episode, but it doesn't feel like a Dalek episode to me because it the, the stakes weren't that big. Well, you, you know, you can have random things occur like that sometimes but it needs to feel like it's part of the whole you know it it doesn't need to feel like that it's completely disconnected uh from something else you know right and to be honest in day of the daleks there was a bit of a callback to the dalek invasion of earth mm-hmm. in that it was very loosely referenced, you know, as, yeah. yes, we did this before, but we changed time and, you yeah, know. We changed history. Uh, and... So, but this felt more, and I don't like to use this term all the time, but it, it's fitting. It, it felt more organic in the overall universe as to mm-hmm. this is part of the the universe that just... Uh, this is part of so. This is part of what's going on in the universe that we just happen to be interacting with at the moment. If that makes yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. As, and and the if the motivations are more true right. to who the Daleks are uh, for the Daleks in this episode than, than some other episodes that we've seen. It, and like I said, Day of the Daleks is a good episode, and it's not a bad Dalek episode. It just doesn't doesn't quite mesh as well with what has come before right. as planet of the daleks does and well it helps that this th- this may honestly be the third doctor's best dalek episode de- de- best dalek story it helps that this is is uh, written by the person who created the scenario in the first place who who knows how to put these stories together in a way that makes sense because he has a plan in mind the whole time and and with that, Paul, uh, out of ten Daleks, what would you rate Planet of the Daleks? Uh, well, it didn't have a special edition, um, but it didn't need as much work as the last one did either. No. Um, right. You know, if if I was going to change anything about this, uh, I think that it would be to put the the laser bolts 
in this the way that they did the the special edition for Day of the Daleks. Other than yeah. other than that, I was really satisfied with what we had um, in this story. So uh, I'm gonna say, and I and I, and I probably wouldn't do this, you know, for all of our stories or whatever. Uh, I'm I'm gonna say that I would give this maybe a seven and a half. Very you know? nice. Um, because. You know, if if they had done a little bit of the updated special effects and stuff like they did with the other with the special edition, I, I would probably go as high as an eight and a half. Um, but it, it's just, you know, this one didn't need as much work as the other one did because this was already no. this was already good in its own right. You know, yeah, it was, it was, and and. For me, and I, I hesitate to, this, to say this because I still need to, need to rewatch the episode, our, our next Dalek story arc, um, but this may be my favorite third Doctor story, period. Um, there are so many good moments in this, particularly with the Doctor. Of course, we, we mentioned his, uh, you know, courage isn't a matter of not being mm-hmm. afraid. It's being afraid and doing what you have to anyway line. And then his ending speech to, to Taran is also very reminiscent of what we got with Peter Capaldi in right. the Zygon uh, inversion episode. This is which is this is like the mini my favorite, basically the mini version of what we got in that episode. It really is. It really is. And and seeing that here after watching uh, Peter Capaldi do his speech made me very happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story flowed well. Uh, it wasn't overly bloated. Uh, like some of the other, uh, especially some of the, the first Doctor story arcs were, it wasn't bloated, and it moved well. And for the time, the special effects are pretty good. They were definitely better uh, than the original version of Day of the Daleks right. by far. Right. Uh, and and even the music and stuff was fitting for this, too, you know. It was. Uh, the tone it and was. everything fit, you know. Um, and so I think I think I'm gonna give Planet of the Daleks an eight and a half. I'm gonna go ahead and just give it cool. the eight and a half. Cool. So I I really like this story arc, um, and it, it's one of my favorite Third Doctor story arcs. Uh, now that I've rewatched it again, I'm like, yes, yes, th- this is definitely one I can I can rank up there pretty high when it comes to John Pertwee. Well, see, I even so. liked the the effects that they had for the vines and things in this. I thought that it was pretty believable, you know. Um, yeah, and they didn't overuse no. a lot of the the plant stuff, so that you could really tell that oh, there's you know strings pulling yeah. this and that and the other thing. You know, it was it was used very sparingly. Um, well, one of the things so, that I think is neat about the practical effects and stuff that they were forced to use in these types of episodes because they had nothing else to use um, is that they they learned how to use interesting. Um, Techniques like uh, running the camera backwards uh, so mm-hmm. that they could film uh, like the vines uh, and, and make the vines look like they were creeping on to the person when they were actually pulling them off of them and filming it in reverse and then playing it back in the opposite direction. You know, and, and mm-hmm. so little techniques like that, you can't even really tell that they've done it, but it really makes the, the effects believable when they use those kind of techniques and it's things that they had to learn over time through trial and error to try to figure out you know all these 
little tricks of the trade, so to speak. You know, uh, it's like, you know, using duct tape and bailing wire and, yeah. you know, Q-tips and, you know, <laughs> spray paint. And, right. You know, uh, bubble wrap and all of this other kind of stuff, you know, using uh, a lot of times found items and things to, to get these realistic effects and stuff, you know. And I, I have a really strong appreciation for that. Not that I don't appreciate the work that's done with digital effects and things as well, but I just feel like that it takes a lot of imagination to be able to put these kind of effects together, uh, especially on a shoestring budget, you know. Yeah. Well, our next episode, we'll be wrapping up our third Doctor Dalek stories with Death to the Daleks, which features my favorite companion, Sarah Jane Smith. Um so that we will be doing that next. But before we, we wrap this up, Paul, is there any final thoughts you want to give on Planet of the Daleks? Watch it. Uh, you know, yes. it, it, it is a very entertaining story. Um, and uh, I, I feel like, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't say skip Day of the Daleks because I feel like that it, it is, um, you know, a a piece of the story that needs to be told. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I just feel like that it it's, it's not as much of the whole as this one is, you know? Right. Um, right. This actually feels like uh, another stepping stone to get us in the direction that we're trying to get with, with our overall Dalek stories. Um, and yeah. I, I really enjoyed this one, you know? Definitely. Uh, Day, uh, Planet of the Daleks comes in a a two pack set with Frontier in Space. If you're buying the DVDs, uh, and it's really neat because you, you get the two obviously you get the two in in a set, but they're both six episode story arcs, so you get twelve episodes in the you know in this set, and they really do flow well together. Um, but it's neat because then you get the Master and the Daleks in one bundle. Um, so uh, that's what I ended up. I found that at Barnes and Noble, and with my membership card and some coupons, I was able to save some money on that, and that's <laughs> why I have it in my my personal collection. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely, like I said, this is probably my favorite of the third Doctor Dalek story arcs. Now I will either confirm or retract that statement uh, in our next episode after we've watched uh, Death to the Daleks. But if you want to, you know, give us your thoughts on Planet of the Daleks or any other topic that comes to your Whovian mind. I have a topic. What do you um, have a topic? We've toyed around with the idea of uh, doing an episode of uh, Talking Time Lords that talks about uh, episodes that need a special edition. Yes. Um, and if you guys have any thoughts on uh, whether or not you would like to hear an episode like that at some point in the future, uh, give us your thoughts on that. Give us suggestions as to episodes that you think should uh, have a special edition and the reason why you think that they should have them. And maybe your suggestions might end up in the show. Yeah, <laughs> that would be fun. Let's, let's let's get you guys involved, and we'll we'll make sure to post this on our social media and stuff too. But our social media is you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash talking time lords. Our Twitter handle is at talking time lord, or you can always email us at talking time lords at gmail.com. Of course, our TARDIS on the internet is our home base. Our website is talkingtimelords.com. There you can find all of our previous re- 
previously released episodes. I almost said previously released episodes, uh, but I didn't <laughs> until I repeated myself in the cor- incorrect manner. Um, but you also get to see some of the great, amazing art that Paul puts together for each of our uh, our episodes. And he does go back and update <laughs> some of it from time to time. Uh, as which... As I learn new techniques of how to do things, so... Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, so check those out. Please, please, please give us some um, uh, ratings and reviews on iTunes so that more people can enjoy and uh, become aware of the fact that we actually exist. Um, <laughs> uh, we'd love to interact with you. So, folks, please interact with us on our social media and uh, encourage your friends and fellow Whovians to listen and interact with us as well. Please do so. Um, uh, this is a community, and we want it to be treated like a community. We want to interact with you guys, and we want you guys to interact back and forth with us. Indeed. All right, anything else, Paul, before we wrap this up? I think I'm good today. No. I think I'm good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's... No, no, no remarking about how they should bring no, me Not, Not this time, no. Okay. okay. I'll, I'll, I'll wait and do that later. <laughs> okay. Because I think they already know it by now. <laughs> they, 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 they should. They should. If they don't, they should. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up this episode of Talking Time Lords. This has been episode number 32, Planet of the Daleks Story Review. For Paul, I'm Jason. And remember, until next time. May you hope far flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. Thanks, guys. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts. Or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the show. I like the way you call me out at the end.